0: Hey there, it's Kathy. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to History of the 90s early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. In the middle of the night, about five days before Halloween in 1995, a disgruntled electrician decided to take revenge against his employer, who just happened to be a flamboyant rock star. The electrician hopped a fence that surrounded the mansion where the rock star lived with his beautiful actor wife. The newlyweds were asleep inside as the electrician disabled the security cameras and entered the garage where he knew he would find a safe hidden behind a wall. He strapped the safe to a dolly and took off down the driveway. The 38-year-old thief hoped the safe contained enough bounty to make up for the money the rock star owed him. He couldn't have imagined, though, that it contained something else that would change the porn industry and coax millions of people onto the internet for the first time. All while wreaking havoc on the life of the thief, the rock star, and his beautiful actor wife. I'm Kathy Kinzora, and this is History of the 90s, a podcast about a decade that changed the world. On this episode, we look back at the Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee sex tape. Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee were one of the most famous celebrity couples of the 90s, hands down. It's no exaggeration to say they were like the Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian, but probably more like the Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly of that era. Actually, they might have been bigger and edgier than both couples combined. He was tall, thin, and tattooed, and she was the blonde bombshell of the era. They were beautiful, big-haired, fun-loving celebrities who partied their faces off in public and in private, no matter what the consequences. They talked openly about their sex lives and frequently shared intimate details in interviews and on talk shows. It seemed like nothing was off limits for the pair. As a couple, they were constantly making headlines. But even before the pair got married on a Cancun beach in 1995, they were each stars in their own right. For those who aren't up on their 80s rock stars, let me paint you a picture of Tommy Lee. He was the bad boy drummer from the massively popular hair metal band Motley Crue. Covered in tattoos with multiple piercings, he was known for fighting with photographers and mooning his audience. He also liked to party hard. In fact, all the guys in Motley Crue were legendary in the 1980s for their brand of debauchery. It included trashed hotel rooms and truckloads of drugs. Still, they managed multiple hit records, including 1989's Dr. Feel Good. Dr. Feel Good. Feel right. Dr. Feel Good." By the 90s, the band had sort of cleaned up its act, gotten rid of lead singer Vince Neil, whose drinking remained a problem, and were trying, but not necessarily succeeding, at remaining relevant. Sure, they were still rock royalty, but hair metal was being replaced by grunge. Newer, younger bands from Seattle were taking over the world with a new look and sound. By the end of 1994, Tommy Lee was also undergoing relationship changes. He was single and ready to mingle after splitting up with his second wife, Heather Locklear, who of course played Amanda Woodward on Melrose Place. Tommy and Heather divorced after seven years of marriage because of what Entertainment Weekly called his ill-concealed, on-the-road philandering. In other words, Tommy was openly hooking up with groupies and other women while touring with Motley Crue. After their divorce, Heather moved on to Richie Sambora, the guitarist from Bon Jovi, and Tommy set his sights on another beautiful blonde. Legend has it that Tommy was at a New Year's Eve party at a sunset strip club called Sanctuary. He was high on ecstasy and drinking champagne straight from the bottle when Pamela Anderson, who owned a small part of the club, sent him a shot of Goldschlager, a cinnamon liqueur with gold flakes. Tommy immediately walked over to the corner table where Pamela was sitting with some friends and pushed his way into the booth. Pam described what happened next during an interview with MovieLine magazine in 1995. She said, "'He came up, grabbed me, and licked my face. "'I thought he was a cool, friendly, nice guy, "'so I gave him my number.'" At the time of this encounter, Pam was an actor on the hit TV show, Baywatch, which aired for 11 seasons beginning in 1989. The show which brought us the slow-mo beach run by a team of beautiful lifeguards wasn't critically acclaimed, but it was hugely popular. At its peak, the show attracted over a billion viewers a week, thanks to worldwide syndication. Before Baywatch, Pam had appeared on the TV show Home Improvement. She played Lisa, Tim Allen's assistant, on Tool Time, the fictional show featured on the sitcom. And before that, at the age of 22, Pam appeared on the cover of the October 1989 Playboy magazine after being named Playmate of the Month. In fact, over her career, she has appeared on the cover of Playboy 14 times. In a 2015 interview with the magazine, Anderson admitted that she never really dreamed of being a Playboy model. She just did it as a way to get out of her small town in British Columbia. What she really wanted was to become a Hollywood star. So the night that Tommy approached Pam and licked her face, she was at a great place in her life, starring on a hit TV show and filming a feature movie called Barb Wire. Her career was definitely on the rise, unlike Tommy, whose band was becoming a relic of the previous decade. In the days that followed, Tommy barraged Pam with phone calls, but the two stars couldn't sync up their schedules. Six weeks after their initial meeting, Pam told Tommy she was going to Mexico for a photo shoot. Finally, Tommy came up with a way to meet up with his dream girl. He packed a bag and surprised her at the Cancun Ritz-Carlton. Then, four days later, on February 19, 1995, they got married on the beach. Pam wore a white bikini, Tommy no shirt and a pair of shorts. Instead of wedding bands they did something more permanent. A couple tattooed each other's names around their ring fingers. When they returned from Mexico, the newlyweds moved into Tommy's Malibu mansion. And later that summer, they jumped in a Jeep and drove to Lake Mead. The lake is really a reservoir formed by the Hoover Dam on the Colorado River, about 25 miles from Las Vegas. And was the perfect spot for a private, belated honeymoon vacation. There on a small yacht, the couple swam, drank, shared some laughs, and had sex. Tommy brought a little handy cam video recorder, which were popular at the time, and he documented the five-day vacation.
1: Baby, this is our house. Look. This is our house. No, it's
0: When they got home, the tape was put inside a safe, a keepsake memory from their first vacation together as a married couple. Little did they know that in just a few months, their lives would change because of it. Almost immediately after their wedding, Pam and Tommy decided to try for a baby, and in June 1995, Pam found out she was pregnant, but soon after, she miscarried. The couple was devastated by the news, and in an effort to cheer themselves up, Pam held an extravagant surprise birthday party for Tommy, who was turning 33 she reportedly spent $300,000 on the festivities, which included a miniature carnival village called Tommyland with rides, tigers, and contortionists. The party was held at a ranch down the road from their house. And of course, there was lots of loud metal music with members of Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses jumping on stage to jam with a death metal band from Sweden. It shouldn't surprise you that most things the couple did were larger than life. Just Google Pam Anderson feathered hat and you'll see what I mean. Same applied to home renovations. Tommy and Pam's three-story Spanish-style mansion underwent an extensive makeover, which included the construction of a heart-shaped glass and iron door, a pillow room, a koi pond, a 20-foot mural of heaven and hell in the elevator shaft, and a 30-foot swing in the living room hanging above the white baby grand piano. During the renovations, the couple cycled through several rounds of contractors and workers. Some quit, others were fired. Including electrician Ran Gauthier, who worked on the house for several months.
1: You know, they were building out a very expensive, you know, what Tommy called like an adult playground.
0: That's Amanda Chicago-Lewis, a reporter whose work for Rolling Stone magazine was the basis for the recent Hulu series called Pam and Tommy. She says Rand soon found out that Tommy was an impossible client. They were being kind of uh, temperamental and, and asking for
1: all these changes. You know, Rand said that, um, you know, it really frustrated him to see that they were sort of asking for the white switch to be over here. And then all of a sudden they wanted the light switch to be in a different place and, and not really understanding that, like, he had already
0: done all this wiring in the walls and now he had to redo all this work. Eventually, Rand was fired. He was fed up anyway, so he didn't mind losing the job, but Tommy owed him $20,000 for work he did on the house. Plus, Rand had left behind all his tools at the couple's Malibu mansion. So Rand and another contractor dropped in one day to confront the rocker about the money. The electrician says Tommy, armed with a gun, ran them off the property. For Rand, it was the last straw. He was tired of the spoiled rich celebrity taking everything he wanted without consequence. This time, Rand was going to make Tommy pay. After the confrontation, Rand spent the entire summer of 1995 preparing to steal a safe that he knew was behind a wall in the garage that Tommy had converted into a recording studio. Rand told journalist Amanda Chicago-Lewis that he drove over to the Malibu house several nights a week to, in his words, case the joint and work out how he could pull off the heist. The plan he came up with was a little off the wall, but you'll soon learn that nothing in this story makes a lot of sense. Rand decided he would throw a white Tibetan yak fur rug over his back and crawl to the garage on his hands and knees in the middle of the night so the security cameras, which Rand himself had installed, would show what appeared to be a dog just like the one the couple owned. And that's exactly what he did. About five days before Halloween in 1995, at around 3 a.m., Rand went over a fence with the yak fur on his back, carrying a U-Haul dolly to move the six-foot Browning safe off the property to his waiting van. Rand told Amanda once he got to a secure location, he spent an hour cutting into the back of the safe with a demolition saw. When he finally broke through, he found a Rolex, a Cartier watch, some other jewelry, family photos, and the white bikini that Pam wore at her Cancun wedding earlier in the year. In amongst the jewelry and other keepsakes was another item that would prove to be much more valuable. Before we get to that, there's something you should know about Rangoche. In addition to being an electrician, he also previously spent time working in the adult movie business. He dated a porn actress in the 1980s and later joined her on camera using the name Austin Moore.
1: And then, uh, you know, started working at an adult film studio um, in the San Fernando Valley. And so was kind of, I guess other people referred to him as a studio troll, which meant he sort of like, hung around porn actors and, and helped build sets. And I guess it was just sort of like part of the scene.
0: Rand went on to perform in over 70 adult videos. So when he found a little high 8 video cassette in Pam and Tommy's safe, the first place he went to watch it was a North Hollywood porn studio where he had once worked. Together with studio owner Milton Ingley, Rand watched the tape and couldn't believe what he had stumbled on. A 54-minute home movie made by the couple on their honeymoon. But that alone wasn't the unbelievable part. What made Rand's eyes light up was the approximately 8 minutes of sex that was recorded on the tape. He and Ingley, who was known to many as Uncle Milty, saw dollar signs. Lots of them. They believed this tape was going to make them extremely rich. Because the tape was stolen, though, it was illegal for Rand and Milton to just start distributing VHS copies to adult video stores. And for the same reason, none of the larger porn companies they approached wanted to get involved. They needed to come up with a plan.
1: They ran off copies
0: using a loan from uh, from the mafia. In the 90s, the porn industry was a huge business, and organized crime played a large role in keeping it afloat. So Uncle Miltie approached a guy by the name of Louis Butchie Pereno. He was the son of a mafia boss in New York and ran his own adult video business. Pereno lent Ingley $50,000 to make thousands of copies of the Pam and Tommy tape. And then sold those copies over the internet, which at the time was a lot less uh,
1: sophisticated than it is now. Uh, and therefore sort of seemed like this Wild West option to just, Uh, easily make some, some cash.
0: But the internet wasn't like it is today. Only 25 million Americans and 40 million people around the world had internet access in 1995. So they couldn't actually just post the video online. It's not like you could pay a fee and download it. Amanda Chicago Lewis says it was a lot more complicated. You would see an ad for the tape, send in a
1: money order, and then receive a VHS tape in the mail four to six weeks later. So this happened very slowly that the tape started to
0: spread. Money orders poured in for the $60 tape called Pamela's Hardcore Sex Video. Rand and Uncle Miltie's plan seemed to be working. But it didn't take long for things to start unraveling. Another former employee at Milton Ingley's porn studio made a copy of the tape and began selling it out of his car for twice as much. All the while, Pam and Tommy hadn't even noticed that the safe and their very private video had been stolen. Finally, in January, 1996, three months after Rand pulled off the heist at Pam and Tommy's Malibu mansion, the couple called police to report the missing safe. In a police report, they listed the jewelry, plus several guns, which Rand has long denied were in the safe, as well as photos and videos labeled private and highly confidential. By now, the sex tape was spreading like an unchecked virus. Copies of copies were being sold all over the country. One even made its way to Penthouse magazine. And when Pam and Tommy finally learned how far the tape had spread, they knew they had to do something. But what could they do? Where would they even start? Well, in March 1996, Pam and Tommy filed a $10 million civil lawsuit against everyone they thought might have a copy, including Penthouse and Rangoche. They had hired a private investigator who connected Rand to the theft. The lawsuit, however, drew even more attention to the tape. What had been mostly an underground, whispered rumor was now out in the open. There was a sex tape, and Pam and Tommy were trying to stop people from seeing it. Or were they? For many, it seemed like a publicity stunt. Despite having filed a police report about the theft, media organizations would refer to the tape as being allegedly or reportedly stolen. If you or I were to report a burglary, chances are your friends and your peers would believe you. But because of who they were and how they chose to live their lives, Pam and Tommy's invasion of privacy became a joke. No one took it seriously. No one looked into
1: the details beyond this is like a tabloid um, point of fascination. There was total curiosity and, and, and interest and, you know, almost as though this was a, a piece of produced content when, you know, and not like a, a home video that was like literally stolen. <laughs>
0: In fact, Variety, a legitimate Hollywood trade publication, did a review of the tape in their magazine as if it were a real movie and not stolen property. Here's Pam taking Tonight Show host Jay Leno to task over his constant jokes about the tape fiasco. It's not funny. Well, well, it's not funny. This is devastating to us. Well, well, it, is, it is? It is, it is. In the end, a judge ruled against Pam and Tommy in the civil suit against Penthouse. And in June 1996, the magazine put out an edition with Pam on the cover, and inside there was a written description of the tape. During court arguments, a lawyer for the magazine said that since Pam had posed nude several times, and because she and her husband discussed their sex life in interviews, the couple had forfeited their privacy rights regarding the video's content. But that's not why the judge ruled against Pam and Tommy. It had more to do with the fact that it was unheard of, a court to bar a media outlet from publishing something before it has done so. But the comments by the lawyer illustrated a disturbing belief that somehow Pam deserved what happened. Amanda Chicago Lewis says in the 90s that the actor was really shamed for her sexuality, while Tommy was celebrated. You know, in spite of the fact that he was arrested several times for
1: domestic violence, you know? Like, he was sort of a rock star hero of, of masculinity when um, you know, she was sort of condemned for, you know, being too open about her sex life um, and for getting plastic surgery and um, for being comfortable with herself um, and the tape you know, is sort of further evidence in people's minds that she was a slut, which is really just sort of an awful thing to think about.
0: Meantime, Rand and Milton Ingley had lost total control of the distribution of the tape. Other websites began selling their own copies of the video in the same mail-order manner, and those sites were popping up daily. By the fall of 1997, two years after the theft, copies of the sex tape seemed to be everywhere. And it was around this time that a young computer nerd based in Seattle got his own copy and decided to use it to grow his online business. At the age of 19, Seth Warshavski borrowed $7,000 to start a sex phone line with a friend. It was called 1 800 Get Some. In just a few years, they reportedly made more than $60 million. By 1996, the young entrepreneur set his sights on the internet, starting one of the earliest porn websites called clublove.com. After watching the Pam and Tommy tape, Seth issued a news release on November 3rd, 1997, announcing that he intended to broadcast the video online. If you wanted to watch it, you just needed to visit clublove.com. Seth claims he just did it to get publicity for the website. He assumed that Pam and Tommy's lawyers would go to court to stop the video from being played. But that's not what happened. The lawyers did go to court, but a judge ruled in Seth's favor. He was given permission to play the sex tape. So on November 7th, 1997, Seth broadcast the tape on clublove.com on a loop for five hours. Viewers no longer had to mail in a money order and wait six weeks for a VHS tape to arrive. They could simply dial up the internet and log on to Club Love. Amanda Chicago-Lewis says by then, Pam and Tommy were exhausted by the legal wranglings. Plus, millions of people had already seen the tape. So they did something that has worked against them in the years since. The couple settled the lawsuit against Seth Warszewski, signing over the rights to the tape. But here's where it gets tricky for Pam and Tommy. They were under the impression they had only given permission for the sex tape to be distributed online. Which, on its own, is a big deal. But in 1997, the couple didn't seem to have a complete grasp on how far and wide things could travel over the internet. I mean, who did? On the other hand, Seth believed the couple had signed away all rights, and he was free and clear to sell the tape to a distribution company. And that's exactly what he did. He struck a deal with Stephen Hirsch, the owner of Vivid Entertainment, to manufacture VHS, DVD and CD-ROM copies. By February of 1998, any American could walk into an adult video store and pick up a copy of Pam and Tommy Lee's Stolen Honeymoon and over the next few years, hundreds of thousands of copies were sold. Seth and Vivid Entertainment reportedly made $77 million from the tape. Pam and Tommy say they never saw a cent of it. While the couple was dealing with all of the drama surrounding the stolen tape, they welcomed two baby boys into their lives. Brandon was born in June 1996, And 18 months later, in December 1997, Dylan was born. In fact, Pam was pregnant with Dylan when the couple reached the settlement with Seth Warshawski. She has said that was part of the reason why she agreed to the deal. Pam was worried all of the stress was impacting her pregnancy and possibly the baby's health. Plus, the couple was going through marital troubles. After the boys were born, Tommy has said he felt non-existent and couldn't handle the lack of attention he was getting from his wife because of the babies. Then in February 1998, Tommy kicked Pam while she was holding seven-week-old Dylan. She called the cops and Tommy was charged with felony spousal abuse and eventually was sent to jail for six months. Pam filed for divorce days after the attack. Their three-year marriage was over. In 2002, Pam and Tommy sued IEG, the parent company of clublove.com, for distributing hard copies of the tape. We signed an agreement with them that only um, let them out of the four minutes that they showed on the internet. And that was our understanding of that agreement. And the only reason we signed the agreement is because it was a week before I was about to give birth, and they were making threats to me, and I was giving birth at home, and I was very focused on my my obviously much more important things. And... um, We only allowed. We never gave them the right to sell the videotape, or distribute the videotape anywhere in the world, or or show it on, you know, different television shows or anything. So we're going after everything because it's just unbelievable. The couple won the case and were awarded seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars each, but they never saw any of the money. That's because Seth Warshawski had fled to Thailand in 2001 after the FBI and IRS started to investigate allegations of his company's shady business practices. As for Rangoche, the brains behind the heist, he still works as an electrician and says he never saw a dime from the stolen tape. He says Milton Ingley, who died in 2006, spent it all before going on the run after failing to pay back the mafia guy who loaned him the money. Amanda Chicago Lewis was the first reporter to track down Rand to get his version of how the Pam and Tommy tape was made public. Proving once and for all, at least for most people, that yes, it was stolen. One part of his story that didn't add up, though, for a lot of people was how he managed to steal the safe all by himself. Legal documents from the time suggest that he had help from the contractor who was with him the day Tommy pulled a gun on him. But when Amanda interviewed Rand in 2014, he assured her that he pulled it off all by himself. Since the article was published, he's changed his story. Anyway,
1: now he's saying, you know, he did not take the tape, but he knows the person who did. So he sort of went from saying, I was the only person who did it, to saying, There was actually a totally other person who did it um, when, you know, the uh, other folks who were around at the time and the legal documents pretty clearly point to um, Rand and this general contractor doing it together.
0: Regardless of who actually stole the tape in the first place, the fallout has had long lasting impacts for everyone involved. First and foremost for Pam and Tommy. Their most private moments were shared with the world without their consent. And until the Rolling Stone article by Amanda Chicago Lewis was published in 2014, it was widely believed the couple released the tape themselves as a tacky publicity stunt. Pam seemed to bear the brunt of the controversy. Because of the tape, she reportedly lost movie roles, including a chance to play the sexy agent Vanessa Kensington in the Austin Powers movie, a part that went to Elizabeth Hurley instead. Tommy, on the other hand, had nothing to lose. His career as a rock star certainly wasn't tarnished by the scandal. In fact, it may have given it a bit of a boost. Now with the release of the Hulu series, even more people are aware of what really happened back in 1995 when the tape was stolen. But that doesn't mean Pam Anderson was happy with the eight-part series. She did not participate in the making of the show, And friends of the actor said she felt violated by the experience. In March of 2022, Pam and Netflix confirmed that they are working on a documentary. She will finally get to tell her own story and dive into her life on her own terms. Outside of the people involved, the Pam and Tommy sex tape had a lasting impact on both the internet and pornography. The video went online at a time when only 10% of Americans had access to the World Wide Web. Amanda Chicago Lewis says people got the internet so they could see the tape. The Pam and Tommy tape also made adult websites and distributors a boatload of money. It also popularized the concept of the leaked celebrity sex tape. It may have been one of the first, but it certainly wasn't the last. We may never have heard of Kim Kardashian or Paris Hilton had it not been for their sex tapes. Things are beginning to play out differently though. It's more common now for stolen or leaked sex tapes to be sold back to the celebrities who made them without ever making the news. And thanks to Hulk Hogan's landmark victory over Gawker Media, websites have reason to think twice about sharing a video without consent. In March 2016, a jury found Gawker Media liable for sharing a sex tape of the wrestling legend and awarded Hogan nearly $140 million in damages, effectively putting Gawker out of business. But the Pam and Tommy sex tape, like the couple who starred in it, will remain an unforgettable relic of the 90s. Kevin Blatt, a celebrity fixer and sex tape broker, yes, that's really a thing, says there will never be another sex tape like Pam and Tommy's. He recently told the Washington Post, it's become such a part of Americana that it should be in the Smithsonian Museum, right next to Archie Bunker's chair or the Fonz's leather jacket. And in case you're wondering about the couple at the center of this story, lots has happened with them since the tape was released. First of all, the house where Rand worked, the one that Tommy tried to turn into a dream home for Pam, well, it's now dust, ashes, actually. After Pam moved out in 98, Tommy filmed a classic episode of MTV Cribs, which aired in 2000. And then, the house was lost to the massive Malibu fires in 2019. And if you think that after their split in 98, that would be it for Pam and Tommy, you'd be wrong. In 2008, the duo decided to give their romance another try. Pam and their sons moved back in with Tommy, but the reunion was short-lived and the twosome split for good in 2010. As for the kids, well, they followed in their parents' footsteps. Their youngest, Dylan Jagger, is a model and musician, and his older brother, Brandon Thomas, is an actor and the youngest cast member of the reality TV show reboot, The Hills, New Beginnings. Pam also made a brief appearance on the show, but has shied away from the spotlight in the past decade and even married and divorced in secret earlier this year. Tommy has since remarried and is still living in Malibu. Thanks for listening to this deep dive into the Pam and Tommy sex tape. And a special thanks to Amanda Chicago Lewis for joining me to talk about the crazy story behind the distribution of the video. Her 2014 article in Rolling Stone was a major help in writing this episode. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go back and read what she wrote about the case. Also, my full interview with Amanda is available to History of the 90s Patreon subscribers. If you want more 90s content, please head over to patreon.com slash history of the 90s. And I'd like to give a special shout out to my day one Patreon subscribers. Thank you, Teresa, Amber Lamb, Jesse Drubbitt, Dylan Hall, Stacey Stanley, Kelly, and Scott Wilson. Your support is greatly appreciated. As always, you can still reach me through Twitter and Facebook at 1990s History and on Instagram at That90sPodcast. You can also email me at 90s at CuriousCast.ca. That's 90s at CuriousCast.ca. This episode was written and hosted by me, Kathy Gonzora. Our producer is Dila Velasquez. And sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. See you next time for more History of the 90s.